So this isn't working out quite the way we expected it to for a team that had it rolling, man. How you doing, Lance? I'm doing well on this Sunday. Yeah. Timberwolves uh, are, but I am. <laughs> well, you know, there's the glass half full and there's the glass half empty. And then there's the fact that there's water in the glass. So right. I guess the glass half full is the Timberwolves are still in the top two seed in the West. We haven't quite made it to the all-star break. And I think that uh, if at the beginning of the season, you said that uh, here we stand on January 28th, the Minnesota Timberwolves would be the number two team in the West. If you said that back in August, September, excuse me, October, people would have been ecstatic. Glass half full. Glass half empty. Uh, they are showing all kinds of warts and have absolutely shit the bed uh, since really the new year, uh, since the start of the new year. And now they're starting to add the losing to the, the dreaded losing to the bad teams to a cocktail of uh, stumbling, bumbling, fumbling, as Chris Berman used to say on SportsCenter, over their own uh, basketball feet. And that's glass half empty. It's not looking good right now. Uh, the fact that there's water in the glass is the fact that, yo, there's a lot of uh, positives that this team has shown what they're capable of. There's a lot of games to go, starting with a big one tomorrow night at Oklahoma City in which if they can rediscover who they are um, or maybe improve on who they've been on offense and rediscover who they are for four quarters, not just three quarters on defense, or I even venture to say two quarters because their first quarters haven't been great and their fourth quarters speak for themselves. Um, they're right back in first place again. So there's water in the glass. Maybe we just got a drink. It might taste like, you know, Minnetonka tap water, which is why everybody in the city <laughs> buys water in some way, fashion, or form. But we're not going to die at thirst. I don't know what <laughs> you are well, talking Coaching the Culture podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. I am Coach Frank, and I'm joined, uh, of course, as always, by none other than my son, Lance Gardner, uh, proprietor of Yes and owner of Yes Trees. And uh, welcome back, man. Glad to have you back. Yeah, I listened to the last week, and you, you held it down. You you definitely you definitely held it down. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to be back. I look forward to doing this. Um, and there's there's a lot to talk about over the last four days, um, and so I'm I'm excited to do that. And I hope that, like you said, we can find a way to get back to that glass half full um, because it it's. Uh, there's definitely some glaring things that have been going on with the wolves and Chris Finch also has his hands full right now because, uh, he's, he's, there's, there's a lot going on. And, and if he's as good as the coach, as we have explained before and talked about, um, he's going to find a way to, to figure out, you know, what, what they're doing, um, and, and put them in the positions to be successful because we've, we've noticed that they're very young and immature, uh, especially with Mike Conley off the floor. So I think Chris Finch is going to have to come in and kind of rein back some people, I think, and, and, uh, get some more organization and structure, especially late game. Oh, there's that word again. Oh man. You put that word out there. We're going to, I'm going to have people throwing darts at me uh, on my, on my, uh, Twitter feed. 
because um, <laughs> and, and 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 you know what uh i feel like we are um i feel like we are the announcers jinx right now because we as soon as we did a podcast episode talking about how well Jaden mcdaniels was played then he basically crapped all over himself for a whole two weeks and then we had to come back and make a, a, a episode you know talking about man Jaden for better for worse and um as soon as I believe it was two weeks ago we do a whole episode you know defending Chris Finch I don't do this often man but he hasn't exactly helped himself either um during this stretch at least last week and and I think we're gonna have to get to that especially as we roll into um getting into the latest loss against the Spurs where I just feel like Chris Finch um he's got to take some ownership and some responsibility himself uh for how that game uh uh unfolded and you know I'm I'm not one who's who likes to criticize coaches often but he had me scratching my head with some decisions um in the fourth quarter of that game especially to start the fourth quarter and then you know, the players also didn't help themselves. I'm going to point out a play as we talk about this later in the podcast, foreshadowing again, I love to do that, where, uh, you know, people clamoring him for, for him to call more set plays, where I'm going to point out a play in that San Antonio loss where he absolutely called a set play and Anthony Edwards just made a really foolish and immature play with the ball after the play was called for him. And, uh, you know, for those of you who feel like Anthony Edwards is bulletproof, you're probably not going to like this podcast very much because he's going to take some darts in this podcast as there is enough uh, blame to go to go around when, you know, you lose to, what'd you say, the second worst team in the East, the third worst team in the East, and the what, third worst team in the West, you know, or whatever. You know, you struggle with the – with uh, the uh third worst team in the east and you and you lose to the second worst team in the east and you lose to what was it the second san antonio's the second worst team in the west you said san antonio's the worst in the west um they they uh what was it they beat by two brooklyn brooklyn yeah brooklyn was is fighting for playoff contention so none of none of these games, they, playoff contention or play in like 12 11 the 10 seed 18 yeah. and 27, not a good team. No. The whole point of what I was saying with that is just they have not had a single decisive win over any of these bottom of the league teams in the last four games, and two of which they actually ended up losing. It was a bad week. It was, it was a bad week, and and let's go. Let's start from the beginning and talk about it. And uh, you know, it's funny. I feel like the last two weeks, the whole show has been concerning trends. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, there hasn't been a whole lot of hope and never ends. Yeah, the hope and never ends has been a little rough. Um, so let's let's go back to uh last Sunday, or I'm sorry, last Monday, um, uh, home loss against the Charlotte Hornets, um, a game in which you get outscored thirty six to eighteen in the fourth quarter by a team that I believe is, or at the time was seventh worst in the league in offensive efficiency. And you gave up three 30 plus point quarters, including that 36 in the fourth. 
And the one quarter you didn't give up 30 points. Now, this is at home where the Timberwolves have been really good on defense. Um, In the one quarter you didn't give up 30 points, you gave up 28 points. And, of course, this is the game where Carl Anthony Towns has 44 points in the first half, um, has another 14 points in the third quarter, and then scores four points the entire fourth quarter. Uh, Chris Finch comes out. Blast the team in the media for just, um, I believe he called it a disgusting display of defense. And I don't think anybody who watched the game can deny that. Um, and we live in this society, man, where, and we see it at the high school level. Um, I saw a lot more Carl Anthony Towns score 62 points statements and graphics and memes on Facebook and Twitter than I saw. Uh, graphics that say the Timberwolves get outscored by 18 points in the fourth quarter and blow a double-digit lead and lose to one of the worst teams in the league. And that's the society we live in. And the funny thing is, in an era of basketball where scoring is at an all-time high, so what? Scored 62 points. That's not even a big deal anymore. I think there's three players that scored 60 points last week alone, if not four. Four players. Yeah. I, I did see I you know, if if you're knowing what you're looking for and you're not just seeing sixty two points and you you're actually listening to even a snippet and most people were talking about the fact that it happened in the loss. Um I mean and, from from a national you know, right. from a national meme and NBA, NBA dot com and all that stuff, you know, right. the off was the loss was like an afterthought, you know. Right. And one one thing on this real quick, and we're probably going to say it 25 times in this podcast, but um, immaturity played a part in that. And I personally, um, one of the times where I I do hold Chris Finch responsible and accountable for these is like, if I'm coaching the Wolves in that situation, I, I, I rarely see Chris Finch get really loud or adamant with the players he's very even killed mm-hmm. but that that's a time where mid game like i'm i'm losing it like i'm literally looking at all of my players whether that's loud um but i i, I just feel like in that moment as a coach you would have so much passion that you don't even really have the ability to hold that in but i'm looking at my players and i'm like are you know like are you guys serious like is this you you can't be serious right now like cat you can't you can't be out here right now in the fourth quarter driving through double teams like i would i would have lost my mind and i didn't see that out of chris finch and that's where our podcast or i just said structure that's a moment where you have to control your team you have to shut all that noise down you have to shut all that down and tell them look it don't matter it none of this matters if we if we lose this game if we trick this game off none of this matters we need to get this in order, and I don't see that in Chris Finch. I don't see when he gets a- animated and animate uh, and 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 in that sense. Um, and it's it was it was it was actually like disgusting, like he said, and everyone else has said to watch. Um, and if you want a comparison, and you know, I said off podcast that the Timberwolves are a long ways away from. Ma- the maturity it's going to take to win a championship. If you go watch Luca's seventy piece or seventy three piece, right in the in the last eight minutes of that game, right he didn't look for his shot not one time. Right he didn't he didn't force nothing other than passes to his open teammates because they were now sending doubles and triple teams at him. 
and look what happened. He still scored another eight points without even trying to score. Right. And he finished out the game for them, and they took home the W. And that was an exact opposite. If you go watch the last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter, go watch the whole fourth quarter of the Wolves game, and then go watch the fourth quarter of the Mavericks game, and you will see the exact glaring difference in why these Timberwolves mentally and mature-wise are so far away, especially with Mike Conley not being on the floor. Yeah, I, I agree with um, what you're saying in terms of, you know, as a coach, I always say that, you know, unless you're Tom Thibodeau and your demeanor is just loud and gruff all the time, when you're a mild-mannered coach like Chris Finch, you get, I think, three out-of-character, go-ballistic speeches a season, right? Because if you do it all the time, then it's just it becomes background noise. It becomes white noise after a while. But... That Charlotte game, I will say, I think would have been a good time for, you know, Valley Sports North to come out of a timeout and Jim Peterson to say, man, uh, Chris Finch just lit into his team in a way that I have not heard or seen Chris Finch light into his team on the sidelines very often in all the years that, he, you know, I've been brought in three years that he's been here. Uh, Chris Finch is not happy. He absolutely, you could hear him, you could see him, you know, like that would have been one of them times where I think that would have been warranted. Um, and I would have loved to hear Jim Peterson, you know, be able to say that because that would have happened. Um, you know, it, like I said, you get about three per year. You get about three go ballistics per year. And, you know, he's been dropping the hits and dropping the signs. And I got a sneaking suspicion he does light into them behind the scenes in the locker room, you know, in practices. But when you're at home and, you know, at some time in that fourth quarter, as that lead started to dwindle down and these dudes are putting up a 36 piece on the, on the way to putting up a 36 piece on you and their confidence is to the point where, yeah, Charlotte made some ridiculous shots in that fourth quarter. But if you let NBA players feel good about their shot, they're going to make ridiculous shots. Every player in the NBA is capable of walking into a summer league gym and going for 50, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I agree with you. That would have been a good time for Chris Finch to have an out-of-character moment and go ballistic and still have two more in his back pocket, you know, for the stretch run. Um, and as, as as a coach, I'm sure you can, you know, my my mindset when to use those three those those three blow-ups. Um when there is no play that you can draw up, when right. there is no defense that you can set up, right. when there is no schematic plan that you can make or do to alter what is about to happen. It is strictly your ener your energy, your intensity, your oh. attitude towards the game, your respect yeah. level, your determination, all of those things. That's when, you know, you, it, you, that's when those moments occur, yep. right? And I think that that's one of those times where I was like, you just, you know, you agreed with it. And I'm just, I'm getting flustered just talking about it because I, I, I don't know how I could have possibly, you know, not thrown the clipboard. I don't know how I couldn't have just, I, I, there ain't nothing basketball terminology coming out of my mouth for the next 35 seconds. And y'all understand why. So go out there and figure it out. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it just, it just didn't happen. Yeah, no, and, and he, you know, he said after the game, he said, you know, there just there was no 
There was no focus on ball pressure. They just were playing. They weren't playing. And here's the thing about, you know, in the NBA, you have to play to win. You can't play just to be playing basketball. No matter who the opponent is, you have to play to win the game. Because if you're playing just to play basketball, and Anthony Edwards talked about how he got caught up in the cat. And yeah, I, you know, he was trying to see cat score 100 and this, that, and the other thing. And, and you said it going all the way back to the at Atlanta second half. This team goes as Ant goes in terms of focus, intensity, preparation, being dialed in, and that doesn't always mean scoring. It means attitude. And it's no wonder they give up 128 points to one of the worst offensive teams in the league and give up, you know, 36 points in the fourth quarter if Ant's attitude is not focused on winning the game, but focused on, you know, how many points can Cat get taking an assumption, and we I said it, a couple weeks ago, when you assume you make an ass out of last week on the podcast, when you assume you make an ass out of you and me. And if you're assuming a win in any competitive sports, you're bound to get what they got, you know. And so that kind of and, and it wasn't even that that started a trend because there's been a trend. You know, there's been a trend. The Pistons win, the Grizzlies win, the Thunder loss, you know, the the the. You know, the Trailblazers win, yeah, they won big, but they needed a big fourth quarter to put them away. There's been a trend. Uh, real quick, real quick, let me, I want to add something before we get too far. Um, you were saying how I had mentioned earlier, Anthony Edwards, the team goes as far as he goes. Mm-hmm. He got caught up in the moment, focusing on Cast 100, whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like the team has lost that sense of, we go where Ant goes mentality because he has not been consistent, the consistent leader that this team needs. And so now the door is open, which is why I have seen a lot of at Ant and Cat, you go, I go, you go, I go. But now it's not even, now it's the leadership that's in question. Before we were saying, you know, it's Ant's team, right? Now I feel like they've played themselves back into a situation or Ant has allowed the team to get back into a situation where now they can't look at Ant to be that leader day in and day out. They can't. They're they're searching for someone to be that. And Mike Conley not being on the floor has express has 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 shown that they don't have any leadership right now. And they don't look at Ant as that leader anymore. They might look at him as a firecracker scorer who can go off. But when it comes to the leadership qualities, they they are searching for that right now. Well, I would say that piss poor shot selection and a bunch of bad fourth quarter turnovers consecutively through a series of games will definitely crack that armor of, oh, yeah, this is the guy that we follow. And I think we're going to get to that as we move through the games this week. And that's a really great point to bring up because you start to see uh, more and more of that. And I and I also think, and this is just, you know, obviously we're all speculative and opinion-based, but I feel like Ant is struggling with how to manage games. And I feel like Chris Finch understanding that if we're going to win in the playoffs, Ant's got to be learn how to manage games. Um, and, and I feel like, and, and manage games to win. And yes, Mike Conley hasn't played in what three of these games in the last week. He only played in the uh, Brooklyn game. I believe he's only played in. He didn't play in the Hornets game. He didn't play in the Wizards game on the front end of the back to back. 
and he didn't play in the Spurs game. And so, you know, who's got the ball in their hands in the fourth quarter? Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's something there's something to be said there um, for who and Nikhil is initiating some offense. And actually, I feel like when Nikhil has initiated offense, for the most part, offense hasn't been horrible. You know, um, but there's a lack of sense of urgency in getting into things. And, and again, we're going to talk more about this as we kind of cap encapsulate all of this, uh, encapsulate all of this when we get to the Spurs uh, game from last night. But I think you bring up a really good point in Ant's indecisiveness. Anthony Edwards' indecisiveness is creating a ripple of indecisiveness throughout the team, uh, especially in the fourth quarters. And, you know, I've said all along, Anthony Edwards needs to be one of the top players in the league at closing time, field goal percentage, scoring points, um, uh, getting assists, uh, manipulating the fourth quarter of games, a la De'Aaron Fox, you know, and this is part of the growth curve of a 22-year-old who'd never been in these situations and never won high leverage basketball at any level. He hasn't won a playoff series. They didn't win a medal this summer. He, if for all of his gifts and talents, hasn't learned how to lead a team to high-level winning ever. And that is a skill, you know, and it's also what happened. He, he hasn't even been, you know, this is not, you know, we're not just talking about the Hornets game anymore. We're talking about in general, but he has, he hasn't even been average for what for what we're expecting of him and what he's capable of, his fourth quarters and his decision making and his turnovers have been below average. They have not been good, um, but, and it's been because teams are attacking his processing speed. They're attacking his lack of desire to get rid of the ball, and then trust the offense or do the off the ball work to go get it. And then, like I said, I don't want to keep getting ahead to the Spurs game, but we'll, we'll we'll let's move on to the Wizards and Nets, and then we'll get to the Spurs. And I think everything that we're saying kind of comes to a head in the fourth quarter of that Spurs game. Right. Um, so we got they beat the Wizards one eighteen to one hundred seven. It was again, it was a, a win. Cat went for twenty seven and went for thirty eight. Um, the team only shot twenty eight percent from the field or from the three forty two percent from the field. Um, it wasn't a very good win, um, but they were playing the Wizards, one of those teams that we talked about, and the Wizards had, I think, 20 turnovers. At 21 turnovers, the Wolves' defensive intensity wasn't bad. You would like to think that if a team scores 21 turnovers, you're going to score more than 118 points. Um, but n- nonetheless, you know, um, but it, it wasn't a decisive. It wasn't. A, this is the team first first team in the West versus the third team in the East. We should beat them by twenty five points. Have someone sit. Have our starters sitting on the bench at the end of the game. Those those type of things that we got accustomed to, and most um, first place teams are doing on a regular basis. I mean, you see, you're seeing Giannis over there, and him and his brother. His brother's going to play in the last five minutes of every game, and every other day he's doing a thumb, and they're having a grand old time, and. Now you got the Timberwolves over here scrapping to hold on in the fourth quarter against the Wizards. Yeah, I mean, sense of urgency. You know, one thing championship teams understand, Milwaukee, you know, Giannis has won a title, so he understands 
what sense of urgency looks like. And, you know, this is a game against the Wizards. Yeah, the Wizards, they commit 21 turnovers. They gave up 15 offensive rebounds. The Wolves only committed seven turnovers in that game. Um, and, and you win by 11. You know, Ant goes 11 for 28. Cat goes 11 for 24. You know, not not usual cat efficiency, but, you know, not horrible. Ant, you know, gets to the foul line 14 times, so his efficiency doesn't look that bad when you consider 20, uh, 38 points on 28 shots and you get 13 to 14 from the foul line, so he was clearly aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. Three for 10 from three, so, you know, 30% so what you would call an off night, but not a horrible night, mm-hmm. you know. So they, they they find a way to get W against a bad team, but it's right. not a good it's not a good win. It's it's right. another it's just a bad one team. good quarter. They played one deep quarter against the Wizards, and that's what it amounts to. They played yeah. one solid quarter, and you know they they won the first quarter by six. They gave up twenty four points. They lost the second quarter by eight. They lost the fourth quarter by one. They had one good quarter against the Wizards, and that was enough to get the job done against a team that was determined to just turn the ball back over to them every time the Wolves did finish, right? And so then you go and you play at Brooklyn, and that was actually the game when we talked last week or two weeks ago, um, and I talked about it last week. That was the game that I was worried about because Spencer Dinwiddie always seems to kill the Wolves. Uh, Mikael Bridges, you know, always seems to kill the Wolves. Dinwiddie had a pedestrian game, 14, but he was big in the fourth quarter. Cam Thomas was Cam Tom on a heater, you know, and that's what happens when you let guys get going. He came in the game and got some good clean looks early, and if you let Cam Thomas see the ball go through the basket, he's hard to stop. He's going to be hard to stop uh, when you let him see the ball go through the basket. And, of course, Mikel Bridges, inefficient, 21 on 18 shots and you know you only you, you win by two you only score 96 points and you start looking at well why did you only score 96 points you have 14 turnovers a lot of them in the fourth I can't remember exactly offhand how many fourth quarter turnovers they had but I believe out of their 14 turnovers at least four of them if not more were in the fourth quarter um and and that's you know you go into the quarter with a nice lead and you have to hold on for dear life because you score 15 points in the quarter. You you only score 20. You score 36 points in the second half against the Brooklyn Nets. Yep. 36 points in the second half. You score 60 in the first half, and you score 36 points. You know, it was all defense all the time. Their defense literally saved them in that game. Literally saved them. And that's just... Not a good look. It's not efficient. It, it's you know, I, holding on for you said it best. They held on for dear life. You know, Cat was very efficient. And again, inefficient. Eight of twenty three. So yeah, you if you look, if you look at Ant was the actually the only inefficient person on the team. Um, everyone else shot the ball really well. Nas Reed two for seven, whatever. But um, and Ant was only one that shot. Well under fifty percent, and and going into the end of the third quarter, he was playing extremely well, and that's why they had the lead that they had. And then he misses seven straight shots to end the third quarter. And to me, the problem isn't Ant missing seven straight shots. The problem is 
I don't remember any of the seven that wasn't either in isolation or off the dribble. Maybe one catch and shoot, but I don't remember any of the seven where the ball moved, where guys were cutting and moving and screening. And, you know, he just doesn't happen. He just decided he was going to not pass the ball. And, and, and it's like he missed one and then he missed two and then he missed three. And then it became, I got to get something to go versus, how can we as a team get something to go? And let me tell you, as somebody who coaches a kid who in a lot of ways reminds me of Anthony Edwards when it comes to his mentality about how offense should happen, um, um, uh, uh, what I think Gino Oriema called it the uh, uh, the the go-to-hell offense where he said, give me the ball and everybody else go to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, you know, we had a play in our game yesterday where coach calls a play from the sideline and, you know, our star player who, much like Ant, for as bad as he was on this particular possession, he makes two free throws with two seconds left. He's hit game winners on back-to-back nights, right? And so uh, coach calls a play and he looks dead at Coach O, looks him straight in the face, and then dribbles into a pull-up three. <laughs> it's just like... If for those of you who don't coach and get like, you know, Finch needs to do this and Finch needs to do that. It is really, really, really difficult to coach a supremely talented, supremely confident player and find that balance between this player is going to drive me crazy. But we also don't know if we can win if we don't, you know, our chances of winning if we pull him go down exponentially. Like the balance of that and what makes a great player a great player is that they feel like every shot they're going to take is going in. And then so having to live with some of their decision making as a coach is agonizing at times. I mean, it really, really is. It puts you in a it puts you in a box as a coach. And that's why Greg Popovich, you know, has so much respect for that. Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, you know, if Manu Ginobili was the best player on that San Antonio team, they would have won all the championships. But because mm-hmm. Tim Duncan could check Manu Ginobili, that's why they could win those championships. You know, and that's exactly what I was about to say real quick is it's yes, it's it is on the coach. And I said it earlier. I think that he needs to pull the reins and reel these reins in a little bit with what's going on out there. But um, it also comes down to players holding each other accountable too because they're in the trenches with you. They're the ones that are on the court with you. They're the ones that are affected, you know, every single play by what it is that you're doing. And, you know, I know Mike Conley hasn't even been able to play lately, but, you know, Ant said that um, him and Kyle Anderson are both those two people that will get on you. Um, but that, you know. But, it, but it those, players aren't, those players aren't Hall of Famers. Tim Duncan right. Hall of Famers. So no, I, I agree. Duncan says this is what we're going to do to Manu Ginobili. There's there's there, there's a certain level of respect and cred there that Cat can't tell Ant that because Cat half the time doesn't make much better decisions even when he you know when he's on a roll mm-hmm. because so how do you and that go ahead. That's why, you know, I. that's why I was saying that that leadership, what, what you're saying was Tim Duncan, that was him. Right. Anthony Edwards to start the year had that. Anthony Edwards had, he was making better decisions. He was being the alpha male. He was being aggressive. He was doing all the things that they needed of him. And now 
it seems like because there's a little shake, Anthony Edwards doesn't know how to handle it. And him and Cat seem to be going back and forth trying to get that leadership role because I think Cat is also trying to still dominate himself as that alpha male and still be the leader. I saw something on Facebook. I don't know if it's, you know, you can't believe everything you see on Facebook. So maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I haven't done the research. But in theory, it makes a lot of sense. And it was a um, a quote, which, again, I I don't know, because sometimes Facebook be putting quotes up, you know, people mm-hmm. creating stuff that's not true. But basically, it spoke to Anthony Edwards saying that he wishes he had a mentor like Kobe Bryant. Um. And that that makes sense. If if Anthony Edwards and and Kobe had to go through it, right? He had to go through it. Um, and people might think, you know, well, is that really a great somebody great to look at as a mentor? But I tell you what, that those those back to back championships with Paul Gasol and Andrew Bynum, who never did a thing in the league, pretty much after that, after he left the Lakers and that group, um. That was that was Kobe Bryant leadership and mentorship, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think that that is where that Ant Cat dynamic and to Cat's defense, he didn't have that except for the one year of Kevin Garnett. You know, I think that you know if if Flip doesn't pass away and Kevin Garnett comes back and plays another year, I think that would have uh, expedited um, Cat's basketball maturity mindset growth process winning process exponentially right and so um what you're looking at is a team that does not have that guy that can do it vocally and do it in terms of going mm-hmm. 25 and, and 10 the right way you know what i'm saying within the within the scheme that can say to Ant, bruh, that ain't it. You know what I'm saying? Um, And and we're talking about a 22-year-old. So, you know, look, I'm 50 and I still need mentorship. So we're talking about a 22-year-old who absolutely, he's being mentored, I think, collectively by Mike, by Kyle, by Finch, by some of the assistant coaches. But right now they are, they have a bullseye. When you're one, two in the West, the bad teams are trying to build confidence off of you and the good teams are coming at you and treating you like you're a top seed. And they have never been in this position, any of them. And that's gonna go, that goes back to that lack of sense of urgency that we're going to talk about when it comes down to these fourth quarters. Yeah, and I, I think that, and, you know, had, no, most one seeds don't get that mentor, or not one seeds, um, First, first overall draft picks don't get that right. mentor because they're going to a bad team. So, yeah, I'm sure all of them wish that they had a Kobe Bryant mentor. Um, but I, I would say that Anthony Edwards has he has the willing willingness to be coached, the willingness to mm-hmm. um, listen to somebody else. I absolutely think that he has that because you can see in his gameplay that it alters, it shifts, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to get Cat involved. He's trying to fit the system. He's trying to do these things, but it just seems like everything around him is just so up and down on top of his own mentality. Like he 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 is the number one player that's talking about face the NBA on the number one team in the West, now the number two seed. Um, and he 
he has a lot to deal with right now. Like he's just just having Cat on his team alone creates an entire dynamic that is extremely difficult to handle. Right? You have a superstar player who, as we've talked about, doesn't want to just shoot threes. He doesn't want to come off the ball. He wants to be involved in the offense. He wants to score points. He wants to dominate. You as Anthony Edwards, a lot of times, 22-year-old one overall draft doesn't have to deal with that, and they are the team. They go, they do whatever they want, right? But Anthony Edwards has a veteran point guard, an all-star tandem um, and power forward, right. and Rudy Henkat, and then he has Jaden McDaniels, who he's trying to bring up under his wing. Like, this man has so much going on in a day-to-day process and he i can tell that he's trying he's he's trying to figure out how to please everybody and sometimes because he's as good as he is he just decides you know what i don't care what none of y'all say i'm going to do what i'm going to do and just deal with it in a sense but and that's that's coming from not ever winning on a high level because when you win on a high level it's because you have really good players around you you know, you you got you don't win on a high level by yourself in basketball, you know, right. high school, uh, college or pro, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and when you know, for them to get where they want to get to, they have to be able to put the ball in his hands at the end of games and run the right sets. I I'm a firm believer in if he can figure out with efficiency the pick and, pick and roll game with Rudy Gobert, how to make those passes that Luka Doncic makes, makes how to make those passes uh, that LeBron makes in screen game, how to make your teammates better in that way and manipulate the defense consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's, that's the key that unlocks the end of the fourth quarter problems and playoff you're going really far you know like you can't count on mike conley to carry them there it's not his job it's his job to guide it's Mm -hmm. his job to guide right he is he is he's your power steering right but ant is the engine that has to to get it there and i just think his inability to be really efficient and effective in fourth quarters in screen and roll game with Rudy and screen game with Cat, um, where you see these other teams, and maybe you know I don't know I'm not in their practices. Maybe this is also a function of Chris Finch not, you know, coming into the season determined to be a high screen and roll you know a high P P and R mm-hmm. team, you know, and where you don't get a lot of practices during an NBA season, and but you know. You see these teams, what do they go to at the end of games? And what do they go to in fourth quarters? You know, what what did the Spurs go to? They went to, you know, they went to Trey Jones and 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 Wimby time and time and time again. They went to the same play time and time again. And, you know, or Vassell with off action coming off of Wimby. Like they use Wimby as a screener, a pick and popper, a pick and roller, you know, but they pretty much went to the same play. Over and over and over and over again. That's the one thing I will say. Um, with bringing up that word structure again, you know, you it just doesn't seem like the Wolves have that one play 
that they're going to go to over and over and over and over and over again in the fourth quarter. And maybe that'll come, you know, as Mike Conley comes back for the stretch run, because I think it's good that they're going through this now, that Mike Conley's getting these games off now because they need him for the last 20 games of the regular season and into the playoffs. And, you know, maybe it's going to be a lot of Mike and Rudy screen and roll with Ant on the weak side action and Cat in the strong side corner. I don't know. You know, maybe that's what it's going to be. But I just think that the inability to go a heavy dose of PNR game with Ant and Rudy and that bear fruit, whether it's Ant going behind the screen for the three and being consistent making that shot or Ant, you know, getting people on his back and getting into the paint for the pull-up game or the live game to Rudy or Ant being able to make the late pass and make it a pass that Rudy can see and catch um, because all of them, I still don't understand why they throw the late no-look pass, bullet pass to Rudy. He's not catching that pass for a couple reasons. One, by the time he gets that deep in the lane, he's setting up for rebounding in position, so his head's up and his hands are up trying to set up for a rebound, and then you throw him a no-look last-second bullet pass and expect him to catch that. Like, those are the decisions that how many times is that going to lead into a turnover before Nikhil, Kat, and Kyle? Stop doing that shit. That's just mm-hmm. common sense. Stop doing that shit. Rudy, by the time Rudy gets to that late, late spot, he's looking for you to shoot the ball so he can get a rebound. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> you know, um, I just think that it's, you know, it's got to be and it. And Mike's not 100 percent. He was 100 percent against Brooklyn. And you can tell that you can see it, you know. And so this is what it looks like right now when coming down the stretch and is your primary facilitator. Mm-hmm. Teams are taking away the ISO game or the ISO game. The shots not falling for him. When yeah. Primary manager. He's uh, I tell you what, though, he's. Rome, this is what his third year with the Wolves. Yep, fourth year. Uh, Your point. When he, with all the things that I just explained, that are going through his thought process as he's out there on the floor, and all the things that he's trying to 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 capture, um, in a couple of years, whenever that whenever that clicks for him, Absolutely. whenever. Whenever that moment happens where the game slows down for Anthony Edwards, it's a wrap. When he can see the game, when he understands the game with the ball in his hands on that level that Luka does, on that level that James, especially, you know, peak James Harden, um, yeah, it's going it, it, he the, the hope is that he's not in a situation like a peak James Harden or even like a Luka where because of what's left around him, he has to do all of that just for them to be – Competitive, you know. The hope is that what they build around him is equivalent to what they have around him now, so that when he gets to that level, um, he's got guys around him that can flat out go. That's mm-hmm. why I don't think, no matter how bad of a year he's having or how much he's struggling, I don't see a Jaden McDaniel's trade. You got to keep that twenty-three year old. That's the same part of his draft class because you know he's also struggling. The kid, the kids have been struggling, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and so. The hope is that, you know, what they keep around him when he sees it on that level is equivalent to what they have now. And you're a legit contender with a legit, you know, face of the league type player. 
You know, mm-hmm. and so I agree with you a hundred percent on that. But right now, you know, these fifteen point fourth quarters, he should be scoring fifteen points by himself in the fourth quarter. If not scoring fifteen points by himself, he should be accounting for fifteen points by himself, ten points and three assists in the quarter, ten points and two assists in the quarter. Um, yeah. You know, with turnovers. Yeah, without the turnovers, and the reason, you know, I just. He doesn't. He doesn't move without the ball. Like he, he just stands there and does absolutely nothing. Um, I watch. You know, I watch the Lakers and the and the uh, Golden State game. And now, granted, Golden State is the best moving movement team in the NBA. And LeBron is one of the best cutters in the NBA. You said what? And LeBron is also one on the other side. LeBron is one of the best cutters in the NBA. Right, and and so it's watching them play, and then you watch the Wolves, and these they just stag everybody, not just him. Nas Reed moves a little bit. Cat does not move. Rudy is in the paint. He's a good he pick and roll. He does his. Rudy's been doing his job. You can't ask him to do nothing more. Yeah. Um. Jaden McDaniel's just stands there. Everybody just stands there and watch Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns take three dribbles, Ant take fifty dribbles, and Ant Cat take three. And they do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And that's in part that is in in part that is roster construction. In part, that is the fact that guys can't move too much because of cat and ant. They're gonna move into their space. Jaden's job is to space into the corner. And there are some time, you know, and ant wants to get to the rack. So Will Ant make the pass if Jaden cuts, or will it just be another body in the paint clogging away? Because Rudy's already there, you know. And so that's so that's that's in part that is part of the problem with the roster construction is how do you create that movement when you have a player that is dribbling the hell out of the ball, but that player doesn't quite have the consistency of being able to manage the play to create the play for the teammate that is stationary. The ball always comes out late and it comes out late because it's a pass that has to be made after you've probed every opportunity for a shot or it comes out late because there's too much lack of sense of urgency going up against the shot clock, getting into whatever the action is going to be in the first place. Those are the two primary reasons why the ball comes out late or why the shot that is taken ends up being a bad shot. And and sense of urgency, you know, now we can move on to the San Antonio game because I feel like we've kind of, we're talking about the same stuff because it is the same stuff. That's problematic game after game. And the San Antonio game, which is the most recent one probably in people's minds, has so many examples in the fourth quarter of just a total lack of sense of urgency. And really all of these games, there's a lack of sense of urgency in the fourth quarter. And these other teams are picking up their pace of movement. They're picking up their intensity on the defensive end. They're picking up their intensity on the offensive end. They are picking up their cutting. They're picking up the 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 uh, pace in which they're getting into and flowing through their offense. And the Timberwolves keep doing this deliberate, lumbering, probing, over dribbling, not pushing the ball up into the offensive set with pace, even when they do run a play. And 
It's just creating so much bad offense. And yeah, some of that, you know, you can you can say it's Finch on two levels. One, he's not getting through to these guys after the week that we've just witnessed. Four games, clearly, whatever his message is about how to fix these things, they're not applying. And then two, you know, starting I, I on one hand, I understand starting the fourth quarter with Kyle, Jordan McLaughlin, Shake Milton. Nas and Rudy. What you say? What the hell is Chris uh, Chris Finch Chris Finch thinking? He's probably thinking with a ten point lead. If we start this quarter with movement, because that should be a pretty good defensive lineup. So if we start offensively with movement and running good movement offense, we can get some things that maybe open up this lead before we have to put the guys that we know are going to stop the ball because they clearly been determined to stop the ball for the last, however many weeks now back in the game. Unfortunately, what you got was a complete lack of sense of urgency and matching the moment. A bad Jordan McLaughlin turnover followed by, uh, you know, a offensive foul on cat. I mean, on a uh, Rudy turn, you know, you got an offensive foul on Rudy on the rebound, you had um, uh, another offensive foul, I think, somewhere in there. Um, you come out of a timeout. You put Cat back in the game to get more offense on the floor for Rudy. You come out of the timeout, out of a timeout, and Jordan McLaughlin makes a ridiculously lazy pass to Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, like, just not a professional pass. That leads to a turnover way out by the three-point line. In my opinion, if you're going to start the fourth quarter with that unit, you've got to have a play in mind that you're going to run with that unit over and over and over and over and over again that's going to get the look that you want, that's going to control where the shot's going to come from and the look that you want because you got a bunch of non-shooters on the floor in Nas Reed. you got a cutter and playmaker in Kyle, who's a non-shooter, a cutter and playmaker in Jordan McLaughlin, who's a non-shooter, Shake Milton, who I, don't even talk to me about what they're doing with him all of a sudden, and then Rudy Gobert, who you cannot give the ball to in a straight post-up. And then out of all of that, you didn't go to no Nas Reed straight post-ups. So what were you trying to accomplish? Because there wasn't any movement either. So I don't know what they were trying. There was no specific play call that I could see that they were going to execute time and time again. And to me, if you're going to have a bunch of non-shooters on the floor, you got to have a play that's designed to get a person a shot, and you run that play for three straight minutes until you make your first substitutions. And that doesn't happen, and that 10-point lead evaporated in about a minute and 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, So now we get to the fourth, or the end of the fourth quarter in that San Antonio game, and um, there's quite a few things that I know you want to touch on there, but my biggest thing is just the, this is, like I said, 25 times lack of maturity, um, that this team is, is, is falling short in that category. And like I said, they are a, a long ways away from the teams that they're going to have to compete with in the playoffs who have done this, who have been there. They are a long ways away maturity wise from 
thinking they're going to beat any of these teams because the way they've been playing in the fourth quarter pretty much all year, besides when 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 Mike Conley is on the floor, it helps. But they have also been relying on very big shots in big moments from Mike Conley, from uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and to, from their whole, their whole cast of crew, which is going to be necessary in those big games that they are going to need to make timely shots. Um, but their fourth quarter offense, um, like you said, kind of since the new year has been horrible and it's all due to the lack of maturity on this team. I, I And the lack of sense of urgency. And, uh, you know, I don't want to make excuses for them, but I'm starting to wonder if the intensity that they play defense with for, you know, those first 30 games especially – is starting to catch up to them energy-wise. And I say that because Anthony Edwards has never played that intensity level of defense for that long in his life. Carl Anthony Towns has never played that intensity level of defense for that many games in a row in his life. Um, Jaden McDaniels has not been consistent with his immature, with his maturity his basketball IQ, his decision-making all year. And really, I think more than anything, it's been the kids, Jaden and Ant, that have really had some horrible moments, you know, in these fourth quarters. Um, and, And you're absolutely right when you speak on the maturity of it. And to me, it's sense of urgency. And the fact that because they struggle offensively, um, one, I think it's in their heads. I think fourth quarters are in their heads. And a team comes out in them first couple minutes of the fourth quarter and they cut into that lead and it becomes here we go again. And now here comes the pressure and the tension and the stress and the tightness. And I think it's absolutely in their heads. The other part about that is I think other teams know this team that you could have, that you could be down 10, 12, 14 points going into the fourth. But if you put a little pressure on them, they're going to fold. They're going to start playing selfish. They're going to start playing individual. They're going to be careless with the ball. They, you know, their their fourth quarter mojo, we can attack that. I think other teams, even the bad teams, absolutely know this team's going to fold if you can take them into the deep waters, you know, like a boxer, you know, like Mike Tyson was, knocking everybody out, you know, until Buster Douglas took him into the deep waters and Evander Holyfield took him into the deep waters. And found out he couldn't swim when he gets tired, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, um, you look at the fourth quarter of the Spurs game, the two forty-eight mark. For people who say Chris Finch needs to call more plays, go back to the two forty-eight mark. He calls a set play to get Anthony Edwards coming off of a curl handoff coming downhill. He has space. Rudy's rolling. He has options. And he decides to whip a pass back out to Jaden McDaniels on the wing. Jaden McDaniels is covered. Ant's got to know if I have space, that means Jaden McDaniels is covered. And that's where I go back to that being able to playmake and understanding the playmaking with Rudy Gobert. Understanding how to do something that he's never had to do in his life until last season when Rudy Gobert came to the Timberwolves. And we, you know, as well talked about how he talked about how he didn't like having 
the bigs in the paint, yada, 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 because they're just in his way. This is part of the learning curve for Ant. And the fact that he hasn't figured out how to use Rudy Gobert in a dominant way, whether it's the the early pass, whether it's the lob, whether it's for his own pull-up game from 10-12, floater, you know, the, the Shea Gillis-Alexander game, right? That pass was just a careless lack of sense of urgency turnover. Then um, you got Cat's lazy pass. Just just lazy. It was a lazy pass. The pass he made to Rudy. To try to make that bounce pass in traffic with a man trying to get back to Rudy, it, you might say I'm trying to make the right play by getting the ball to a rolling Rudy, but you got to make the right play in the right way if you're going to make the right play. And you can't throw a telegraphed, softy bounce pass when a team is working as hard as the Spurs were working. And that's what I mean by the lack of sense of urgency. I, I said it two weeks. I said it on my podcast. I said it on my own um, solo episode last week. I think I said it two weeks ago. And you know, and you played for me. So you know I've said this for years. The first thing you have to do to win a basketball game is you have to play as hard or harder than your opponent. The second thing you have to do to win a basketball game is play as smart or smarter than your opponent. The Timberwolves' fourth quarter turnovers come from not doing both, not playing as hard and not playing as smart as their opponent. And that's why they're getting their ass kicked in the fourth quarters. And those passes that play by Jordan McLaughlin, the turnover by Ant, the turnover by Cat, lazy and not sensing the urgency that you have to play with based off of the urgency your opponent is playing with. Then we go to the to the to the rebound that led to the game winning free throws. When Jaden goes to help on the shot block, Cat goes to help on the shot block, Rudy is out on the perimeter guarding Wimby and Ant just turns and watches the play and walks toward the paint as the shot is going up. No sense of urgency. Kelton Johnson went and got the rebound with urgency, but here's the thing. Anybody who, who doesn't understand what I'm saying, go back if you got the game recorded. Go Find the video of the end game, the play that led to the free throws. First and foremost, five guys got to go to the glass. Five guys go to the defensive backboard. That is a rule in winning. We are trying to get our high schoolers to figure it out. We lost one game this year by not offensive rebounding. We almost lost Friday on an offensive rebound putback. We almost lost Saturday on an offensive rebound putback. It is a really difficult thing to get players to understand the sense of urgency with which they have to go defensive rebound, especially in the clutch. So I get it. But you're Anthony Edwards. You got to go get that rebound. That is your rebound. The play is moving away from you. Your job is to flow with the ball. When that shot was taken, you should have already had a foot in the paint. You never made it to the paint. And if you have a foot in the paint, when that ball comes off, you win the battle to that rebound because you're the most athletic player on the floor. Sense of urgency. Then we fast forward. The last play coming out of the timeout, seven seconds left. You go into the backcourt to get the ball. Nobody from San Antonio follows you. You cross half court with 
four seconds left, under five. It's like four and a half seconds. So you catch the ball with like 7.3 in the backcourt, and it takes you three seconds with no defender in front of you to get the ball across half court into the front court. That is absolutely unacceptable. No sense of urgency. So then, of course, you're going to get blitzed and doubled because San Antonio's got Greg Popovich over there coaching him. They're not going to let you walk into a game-winning ISO shot. That man's got, what, five NBA championships as a coach over there? So now when you pass the ball to Cat out of the blitz, which is the right play, you pass it to him with 2.6 seconds left. You leave Cat with very few options. Rudy would have been open on the roll. Jaden McDaniels and Nikhil were wide open on the backside. Cat has no time to do any of that because you waste three seconds dribbling uncontested from the hash mark on the backcourt across half court. There is absolutely no reason for that. You have to rush into the um uh, into the front court and create that offense in the first second and a half to two seconds after you receive the ball for two reasons. One, if they blitz, now you pass the ball to Cat with four seconds or more on the clock. He's got all kinds of options. He can drive. He can skip pass. He can do all kinds of things. And then two. It gives your team a chance only down one that if a shot goes up, you can offensive rebound and get a tip in or a putback. You kill all opportunity for your team to win by sauntering lazily across half court with seven point something seconds left when you catch the ball to the point where your team only has four seconds by the time they actually get into the offense. That's just not acceptable. That is loser mentality. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it right here on the podcast. When you've never won at a high level, you don't play with a sense of urgency at winning time. That is not winning mentality. It's just not. You cannot do that to your team. You mm -hmm. cannot. And it's selfish because you're assuming you're going to get the final shot off. That's the only reason you do that because you don't want to have to pass. Yep. It's selfish. Late passing comes from making a pass when you have to instead of shooting when you can't find a shot. And it comes from lazily starting your offense against whatever the clock is. And how many, what, what, what did Chris Finch say at the end of the Boston game? We can't just keep dribbling out the clock. Here we are almost, what, two and a half, three weeks later, talking about Anthony Edwards dribbling out the clock. Yep, I was going to say, both things that happened against the Spurs are what happened against the Celtics. They gave up the offensive rebound, and then Anthony Edwards, with 11 seconds left on the clock, just walked the ball up the court down by one, expecting to take the last shot. And both times... It was a lack of sense of urgency by Ant. I get the kid's 22. I get he's got a lot to learn. But the Timberwolves' hopes are riding for this season. Rudy Gobert trade was made. Mike Conley was brought in. Pat is still here. You got two players on max, three players on max contracts right now. All of this was done with the hopes that Anthony Edwards would be that guy right now. Now, Draymond Green said it when the Rudy Gobert trade was, trade was made. He said the Rudy Gobert trade was the believe that Anthony Edwards is ready right now. What Anthony Edwards has been proving of late in these fourth quarters, especially without Mike Conley, is that he's not ready right now because he's not playing fourth quarters with a sense of urgency except for the defensive possession on Mikael Bridges, 
which should have never came to that in the first damn place, or when he's trying to get a shot. Then there's urgency. And look, I look, I, I'm I say it again. We have a player that I coach that does a lot of the same things and and can win you games. He won two of them for us this weekend. But we might not have been in those positions and he had some urgency when it comes to rebounding and defense in possessions prior to him needing to make hero shots or clutch free throws with two seconds left. And so that is the struggles of coaching a young, our guy's a junior, Anthony Edwards is 22-year-old, fourth-year NBA player, a young, prodigious player. And I'm animated, boy. I'm heated about this. You can tell I, I don't get too loud this often on the podcast, but as a coach, you see it. I know Chris Finch sees it. You have, the fans at this stage, see, and, and and I know it's sacrilege to criticize Ant, but as a coach, you got to criticize everybody. And there's enough criticism to go around, absolutely, because we can talk about Jaden McDaniel's horrible decision to file in the first place. Um, and the fact that, again, he scores, what, seven points, only gets five shots, three rebounds, and his activity level, it's often been said, is a barometer of how this team is playing. But Ant is the man, and you said it yourself. The fact that there is looks like there's starting to be some wavering in that trust in his leadership and being able to put the ball in his hands and him making the leadership in the right plays down the stretch of games. Um, just like you said, this team goes as Ant goes. And right now, Ant is struggling, especially in fourth quarters. And the team so, is struggling. It's so funny to hear us say Anthony Edwards is struggling and he's averaging 33 points over the last four games. and all. And But that just tells care. you right then and there. I don't but care. That, we got a player. I know. I know. 33 I agree. points a game. I and agree with you. We've struggled down the stretch of some games. Now, we got over the hump a couple times, but we, 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 our two wins this weekend come on the heels of a loss in which we blew a big time 18 point lead and totally crapped the bed down the stretch and lost by five at home. Yeah, we no, bounced I, back I, with two those one point wins. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Anthony Edwards is struggling. That's it's just funny to say that when someone is averaging thirty three points, and yes, the fans they see always oh, averaging thirty three. The Wolves, da 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 da. That's the expectation level that we have for him. That yeah, he can average thirty three points, and we're gonna tell you because we're seeing past that that he's struggling. He's there. There's and and like you said, hopefully by this point, even the average fan can see that in the fourth quarter. His 25 dribble turnovers absolutely killed the Timberwolves. Like, there's times where he actually has a drive to the lane and decides to do a pullback, step back, fadeaway elbow jumper. And I just, I'm like, why are you making things harder on yourself? Everything you're doing is making things harder on yourself. Give the ball up, get it back. Stop trying to make 25 dribble, make someone fall, highlight real plays every single time you touch the ball. The, the indecisiveness is affecting the flow of the game. It's affecting the flow of their fourth quarters. Um, I'm a sim. I'm a back. I'm a, I'm a scale it back and simplify it like this. Score, score. That doesn't always equate to winning. 
And so that's what Michael Jordan had to learn. How do I score and win? How do I how do I stay within my identity as an elite level score and win? Took Phil Jackson to teach him, right? Um, yes, Ants averaging 33 over this stretch or whatever. We know Anthony Edwards can score with the best of them. What he has not learned how to do yet is win with the best of them. And you say, well, you know, the Timberwolves are 34 or whatever. Yes, but we've talked about it. Mike Conley has a big hand in that. Rudy Gobert has a big hand in that. Kyle Anthony Towns has a big hand in that. But what you've also seen is when Anthony Edwards struggles, they have trouble beating or will lose to. When I say struggles, I mean struggles in his decision-making down the stretch, as has Cat at times. When those two are struggling with their decision-making down the stretch of games, you can lose to some of the worst teams in the league. And then their defense hasn't been good in the fourth quarters either. You know, they're giving up a really high amount of points to, you know, bottom-feeding teams. On defense. So that hasn't been good either. They gave up 33 to the Spurs in the fourth quarter. You know, they they were outscored by the Nets. They only gave up 20, but they only scored 15, which is why that game was so close. They gave up 29 fourth quarter points to the Wizards. They gave up 36 fourth quarter points to the Hornets. Going back to the Thunder game, they gave up 28 fourth quarter points to the Thunder. You know, so... They're, they're, but part of it is you struggle on defense when you're struggling on offense. Sometimes your offense leads to your defensive struggles. When you're not scoring the basketball, the other team is always running off of turnovers or running off of misses. When you miss shots at the rim, it almost always leads to an open shot on the other end. So bad offense often leads to bad defense. And bad fourth quarter offense is leading to bad fourth quarter defense. So, you know. They got, they got a chance. They, I mean... <laughs> talking about glass half full and I, I mentioned it a few podcasts ago they put themselves in a position where if they lose some games where if they you know they had a six game lead between them and the the sixth place team you know and not those teams are not going to win every night either so if you are on a stretch where you lose five six games that you shouldn't be or unexpectedly slipping you're still put yourself in a position to get through that and weather that storm and stay up one two three seed well they're right there in that moment right here right now because they've dropped a few games over the past two weeks that they probably should have won. Um, and now they're playing tomorrow night to see who's going to stay top the the West. Um, and one thing I will say that the Timberwolves have done in moments like these is recover. Um, we talked about it with the Orlando game and then going, I think, to Philly. It was the next night. Um, you know, I said, or was it Boston? Yeah. Uh, I said that I felt like the Timberwolves were going to take that one on the chin, that Anthony Edwards was going to come out with some fire, and they were going to take care of Orlando, which they did. Um, And there's been a couple times where they've hit a little bit of a low. Granted, this is definitely the biggest of lows they've hit yet, Um, but when when their backs were up against the wall, it seemed like they came together and found a way to come out that next night and get a W. So, Yeah, I was just going to say that all of this – all of this – all of a sudden becomes, you know, there's there's more water, more than half full water in the glass with a win tomorrow night, you know. Yeah, but a loss a loss tomorrow night can really can really hurt the squad, especially if it's not a close game. Like if they if they somehow come out here in Orlando and and OKC 
puts the smackdown on them and then that reality sets in that oh we really do have a lot to figure out here um that could be that could be bad as well well i i will say that if they're gonna lose tomorrow i think i would much rather them just get smacked down and blow another double digit fourth quarter lead because that you know that's that is seeping into their cycle you could see it on their faces against san antonio you could see it coming and and they fought back and they pushed back but they just can't get out of their own way <laughs> you know, just, what and San Antonio did make some ridiculous shots to end but that, that game. But that's what happens when you don't score and you allow a team to get that confidence. And then, like I said, the bottom line is Ant's got to do his job and go get that rebound. That's his rebound. You can't stand and watch in the fourth quarter. You cannot be a spectator on any play in the fourth quarter, especially in the last minute of a tie game. There's no play you can be a spectator on. There and there was no sense of urgency for him to go on and go and rebound and there was no sense of urgency for him to get into whatever Finch drew up for the final play. You know, I, again, I I cannot forgive taking 3 seconds to get the ball across half court from the logo to the half court line with no defender pressing up on you with 7 seconds left. That's just an that's 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 even more inexcusable than being a spectator on the rebound. But I digress. We talked about that already. No point in going back and beating that dead horse. Hopefully, they have a sense of urgency for 48 minutes tomorrow night. Anthony Edwards needs one of those 35.12 rebound games where he's going to get every rebound and he's ripping and going, pulling down the board, pushing the ball up the floor. They need to play with pace and tempo. They need to get into their offense with pace and tempo. Um, and they need to do it for 48 minutes. And that and, and that's what needs to happen um, so that they can remember what it's like to play 48 minutes with that intensity they played for 48 minutes with way back when, when Boston came in the target center undefeated. Yep, that's, they're going to need, they're going to need all of it. Um, I, I will say that I don't feel as confident that that's going to happen this time around as I did with the Orlando game. Um, but I, you know, obviously hope that it does. And I hope that they come out playing together and find a way to come together. Um, but I, right now, just the way that they've been playing and that the aura around the team is, is, I hope they find a way. Cause if they do, then that really is a testament to their, you know, ability to stay together and to come together. Um, but it, it, they're in, they're in a rough spot right now. They're in a, they are in a tough spot. Well, maybe the games against the good teams or the, you know, the above average teams in the league will get them back refocused because when we get together next Sunday, we'll be talking about Thunder Mavericks magic. And neither one of those teams are walks in the park. I believe the magic is getting healthy. The Mavericks um, have played some good basketball of late. Luca's doing Luca things. Um, and then, you know, the Thunder speak for themselves. So. Um, I don't see any point in doing concerning trends and hope it never ends because right now everything is a concerning trend. And yeah. and and so we'll come back next Sunday and and talk about it and see what we got going on. Yeah, let's 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 just keep hope that it's the other way around because we come back here Sunday and they they trick these games off. Them the walls it could go downhill really quick. Like this right now, is a very this is a very young team. Um with a lot of variables um, and a lot of guys that 
are capable of doing a lot of things and that can be a lot to deal with at certain times and it can go downhill really quick. Well, I, you know, I think this is when the veterans, I think this is when Mike Conley, Kyle Anderson, Rudy Gobert, um, this is when they, this is, you know, when they earn their, their locker room checks, you know, not, not just what they do on the floor, but this is where they earn their locker room leadership. This is where they earn their, we've been here before we've played on high quality teams that have gone through rough patches in the season, follow our lead. Let's go out here and get it done. Um, this is, this is when they, they have to help right the ship and and you know hey there's water in the glass mm-hmm. yeah i don't care if you want to look at it half full or half <laughs> i know that a lot of this was you know a lot of negativity and frustration about what's not happening but the reality is they're number two in the west right now and there's water in the glass and one win against oklahoma city on the road tomorrow follow that up with a home win against dallas and uh and uh you know or even an undefeated homestand. You, you you get one against Oklahoma City, and then you beat the Mavericks, Magic, and Rockets at home and get your home court back going again. And then you got, you know, a five-game road trip where that includes at Milwaukee and at the Clippers. So, you know, uh, if there's ever a time to put a little more water in the glass so that it's above half full and it's obvious to see again, this is a good time to start. Yeah. All right. We'll be back next Sunday. Uh, you've been tuned in to the Coach and the Culture podcast. I am Coach Frank. And uh, as always, with my podcast partner, Lance Gardner, if you need your trees trimmed, uh, service, uh, it's been a, it's probably been a good winter for it in the sense that it's been cold enough to keep the parasites down, but warm enough to not be freezing your butt off out there working. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been it's been uh, actually not very good because the ground is not freezing and it's staying soft. And um, yeah, this mist and this dew is not making it very good for us to work. And so typically spring, summer, fall, we schedule some of these bigger, larger jobs that require snow and frozen ground to be this time of year. So um, when that's not the case, it, it really pushes things back. But we're still moving and shaking. We'll get through it. Yeah, well, and look here. Ownership has its privileges. <laughs> All right, uh, party people, thank you for tuning in. We will be back next Sunday covering the next three games. And uh, if you got water in the glass, you live in a first world country, be blessed. Drink it up. Peace. Peace. Peace.